Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. So, um, well, many of you heard me say this before, and, uh, and uh, b- uh, bear saying again, well, first of all, let me go back. We're going to say something about a little bit about what's going on in uh, Israel and Palestine uh, during the announcements, because we are going on a pilgrimage there um, uh, as of right now in March, and, um, and I spoke with our guide, and everything seems to be on, on board right now. And, uh, but, um, you know, I mean, I have my thoughts on the whole situation, but uh, the pulpit is the place for the proclamation of the gospel, and oftentimes the churches sometimes gets really mixed up when proclamation uh, gets mixed up with, um, well, um, uh, a preacher's opinions on uh, politics and uh, the latest things in the world. And uh, there are things and ways we respond to the gospel, but this is the place for the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. And that's what we're going to do uh, today. And then we'll say a few words about how you can pray and what's going on over there uh, as it relates to us. But many of you have heard me say this before, and it marks saying again, but parables are not fables uh, with moral lessons at the end. That's not what they are. Uh, parables, they're part of the prophetic tradition of the Old Testament. You know, you, saw, you see Samuel use one as he engages David. Um, Isaiah today, this is a very powerful parable that is a prophecy as well that probably was told during the harvest festival, one of the harvest festivals of Israel, possibly the Feast of Booths where he begins to pull them in and talking about a vineyard. And then at the end you realize that they are the wild vineyard and that judgment is coming. These divine truths were intended not only to comfort, but these divine truths were intended to convict and lead the hearer to repentance. And this is the point of our gospel reading, what's going on here. Our gospel reading today takes place uh, during Holy Week, and uh, this would have been the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And at this moment in the Gospel of Matthew, you can cut the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders literally with a knife. What is happening is impossible for the Pharisees to wrap their mind and more importantly, their hearts around. I mean, God, God surely cannot be at work through Jesus like this non-interventionist kind of messianic wannabe from Nazareth. I mean, Nazareth. Can any good come from Nazareth? And his like merry band of like healed lepers, tax collectors, prostitutes, and fishers. Like seriously? God, are you doing this to agitate us? Jesus and his ministry is literally challenging all of the notions of identity, security, and salvation. Jesus and his ministry is challenging all of the Pharisees' preconceived notions of who and what the Messiah should be all about. A powerful, score-evening, identity-affirming Messiah that will make Israel top dog once again. And so literally, taking a cue from the prophet Isaiah's illustration of the vineyard, with its power to lure the hearer in and then deliver a barbed hook of judgment, Jesus draws the Pharisees in 
for the purpose of conviction and repentance. And he gets them, literally with this story, to confess what's happening. And they respond, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to another tenant who will give him the produce at the harvest time. I can literally see it now as it's coming out of their mouth. They're wanting to catch the words and bring it back in. Because at this moment, they know, as Matthew tells us, they know that this parable is all about them. And then quoting from Psalm 118, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone, and this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. What Jesus does is he drives home the point that the Old Testament the Jewish scriptures has always, has always promised a humble and a meek Messiah that challenges our reliance on the self and not one that comes with the might of the world in order to enhance ourselves. I was thinking about this this week as I uh, was preparing this sermon and um, and before I got too comfortable in my chair, you know, I mean, this has been a really crazy week. And, you know, and uh, God wasn't showing up the way in my life the way he was supposed to. And it was really angering. You know what I mean? What the heck, Jesus? I mean, I'm a clergy person for crying out loud. You know, if you're listening to anybody's cries and prayers, it should be mine. So before I got too comfortable in my chair... I was like, man, maybe the same is true with me. And before you get too comfortable in the pew, you know, and say, oh, those Pharisees, there they go again. I mean, really, when it's peeled back our lives, in our culture, especially as New Yorkers, we have begin to reveal, realize we have such a reliance on the self. We have such a reliance on our identities and who we are and what we're doing and what we're all about. And when Jesus, when he meets us like those Pharisees in his grace and forgiveness, Jesus, when he meets us as St. Paul says so powerfully and describes it in the foolishness of the cross, uh, when Jesus meets you and calls you to faith in him and his work alone for your salvation, uh, well, what's happening there is that God is challenging all of our identities. Uh, quite frankly, there can only be one cornerstone. And God more powerfully kills those things that we find our security and salvation in apart from him. Jesus is the true cornerstone, and as I've just said, there can only be one, will always challenge and convict and ultimately crush the areas of our lives that are defined by unbelief. He will always challenge and convict and crush, and interestingly enough, that same place where the crushing in our lives is taking place, that same place where you may be crying out and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that same place, that's where Jesus meets you. And that's where he's ready to give us, once again, the gift of belief. Belief. 
the gift of faith in him alone. And this is my first point. You see, you and I, and the whole world for that matter, is saved only by Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. I learned this week Chase Bank can't save you. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, but it's only by his passion, death, and resurrection. And not by anything else or any other device that in our unbelief we think we can take refuge in, even momentarily. If anybody understood this truth, it was St. Paul, the author of the letter to the Philippians. St. Paul, he understood this truth deeply when it comes to finding security and salvation on the world's terms, as he states in our opening reading, and this is because there are people that are what I call yeah, but Christians. You know, they're like, yeah, yeah, the gospel, but now you got to do something. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first three verses read that, that head up our reading. He challenges these people because the issue was um, circumcision. Yeah, 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 Jesus, but now you got to start doing the laws of Moses. And he challenges this, and he states right at the opening of our reading, if anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Now what does he mean by that? So confidence in the flesh refers to the things that we do. Because what we do is done in the flesh. And then what Paul begins to do, and if you ever want to see Paul like brag about his resume, this is the place to do it. Because he begins to lay out this resume. Calling up his entire past in Pharisaic Judaism. And what a past it was. I mean, this was an amazing LinkedIn profile. Uh, Five stars. Like the prophet Isaiah. And like Jesus, he takes his resume and he begins to lure the listener in. And he says, according to the flesh, I was a good man. I was a zealous man. I was a religious man. And just when you think he's going to tell all the hearers to step up and start building up their resume, step up and start strengthening their identity, step up and start doing the good, he delivers, like Isaiah and Jesus, the hook. Yet whatever gains I had, these I've come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus my Lord. I mean, think about it. He lays out here everything we find security in. The family pedigree. I mean, he knew what tribe he was when like genealogies were super sketchy. That family pedigree, that education, that religion, that attitude, that career. He lays out everything we take refuge in and that ultimately prevents us from hearing Jesus in all of his crucified glory for you. St. Paul, as he writes, he says, I take all of these things and I count it as loss. More than that, I consider it rubbish. The Greek word is scupola, a word that is not appropriate for polite company or Episcopalians. There I am with that identity again. <laughs> so, uh, 
it actually means dog feces. This was the dog feces specifically that you would find on a pile of trash. He considers it all that, scupola. And the powerful thing is, is that faith in Christ, the resurrected living cornerstone, what happens is, is that becomes the enabling word for us to shed both our cherished beliefs about ourselves, which turns us into Pharisees, but also, and here's, here's the interesting thing, and probably an important thing for each and every one of us here in this church, it enables us also to shed the negative beliefs about ourselves, which so oftentimes drives us to loneliness and isolation. And so this becomes my second point. To be saved by Jesus' passion, his death and resurrection alone, literally means, to quote St. Paul and, of course, R.E.M., it means for us to lose our religions. It means to shed our cherished beliefs, both the positive and the negative. And oftentimes the negative beliefs about ourselves can be bigger idols than the positive ones. It means shedding all that defines us in order that we may declare with St. Paul, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on Jesus. Not only could St. Paul boast in his resume, but he could have wallowed in his past. He could have agonized over all of the people he had unjustly arrested, all of the people he killed, including St. Stephen, the, the martyr. All that he thought he was doing, he could have wallowed in his past that he thought was positive for God. How many of us here, right now, are chained by our pasts? Past sins, past failings, past grievances, and not only the ones we've done, but oftentimes more crippling, the ones that have been done to us. I've learned from the Bible, but more importantly, I've learned from therapy, I mean big time, that it is oftentimes the mistakes of the past that rule the present, that become the harshest forms of slavery. Paul wrote Philippians a lot of people don't know this, you know, because they take a lot of quotes, especially for NBA championships. They write it on their shoes and all of these things. But a lot of people don't know this, but Paul wrote this letter, not from the confines of an ivory tower, but from a Roman prison cell. But my friends, these are the words of a free man because Christ freed him from his past. Not only the shackles of his pious identity, but from the chains of his murderous misunderstandings. And in the light of the freedom that comes from faith in Jesus, St. Paul says, this is what he does now. He writes right here, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. 
This isn't, as it's oftentimes taught in the church, a call to run away or avoid dealing with the past. The fact of the matter is, is that if anything, faith in Christ, because so often what's taught in church and what's taught in the world is, man, hey, just get over it, you know? Sweep it under the rug. And if you do that, there always winds up a lot of dead bodies under that rug and it begins to stink. And it begins really hard to move on into a redeemed future. However, what's going on here is not an avoidance of dealing with the past. It's through Christ. It allows you to look at your past and begin to confront it honestly. Because now you can see it covered and forgiven by his blood. As Christians, we move forward in life not by getting over it, not by just moving on. You and I as Christians, we often move forward in life by looking backwards towards Jesus and his cross, where we are reminded that our past our present, and most assuredly, our futures are secured in his wounded hands. So then pressing on towards the goal. What that is, because so often our resumes are necessary to function in this world. Our identities are necessary to function in this world. But to press on to the goal is to hold on to everything lightly. Knowing now that in Jesus you're not defined by who you were, who you are, or what you will be in this world, nor are you defined by what you've done, what you do, or what you're going to do in this world. Rather, you were defined by Christ and his death, resurrection, and ascension alone. You are free now to live in Christ and to be found in him, to know the power of his resurrection. And that oftentimes manifests in sharing in his sufferings and to be like him in his death. That can oftentimes look really freaky according to the world. But it is finally to attain and to hold on to the one thing that will truly last forever. And that is the resurrection from the dead. That is the finish line. That is to say, as Jesus says, produce the fruits of the kingdom. And in this church, whether you see it or not, there is a lot of fruit being produced. So this is my third point, and I'll wrap up with this. To be saved by Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection alone. That's freedom. And that's freedom because it proclaims to you today that your present is not nor has it ever been defined by your past. Rather, your present is defined by Jesus' work for you in the past. And the promise of the gospel is, is that that promise in the past is efficacious now. And the promise of the gospel is that in Jesus, your present produces fruit for the kingdom and it produces fruit for the kingdom because your future is filled with the promise of his resurrection in life, now and always. And compared to that, compared to that, everything else is indeed scupola. So God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. 
produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.